us. Um, it's an honor to do what we do, to gather and worship King Jesus and look at his word and hear from him. Uh, we do this all, all year long and hope that you'll be a part of that. Seriously, if you're a freshman and you're going in to your first college experience, can be tough, can be tricky to try and navigate the friendships. Come find a staff. Come find somebody that you think has friends here and just hop in with them and be their friend and see if you can hang out with them. And I think it'll be really good for you. But my name's Austin. I don't think I said that yet. My name's Austin. Uh, if I haven't met you, would love to meet you. But if I'm on the stage, hard for you to like tell me about your life, but I'll tell you a little bit about my life right now. One thing you can know about me is that I'm a middle child. Ooh, crazy. There's some things out there about middle childs that, I don't know, people are like skeptical about middle childs or they think they're the devious ones or whatnot, but I think you should know that about me. I'm a middle child, so I have an older sister. I've got a younger brother. I love them very much. Um, and I was thinking about them earlier, and my older sister, Courtney, Two things you should know about her. She is a nurse, and she loves TV shows, okay? So many of you might come to this conclusion. Grey's Anatomy. She loves Grey's Anatomy, you know? Okay, so, yeah, wow, some Grey's Anatomy fans. Um, okay, this, I was thinking about this time when we were sitting on my parents' back porch, and we were maybe, it was a summer night, I believe, having some burgers on the deck, and we were just talking, having a good conversation, right? And my sister was talking about Grey's Anatomy. This is a number of years ago. She's, she's over the Grey's Anatomy phase, I think. But uh, she was talking about Grey's Anatomy like, oh, my goodness, I love this new episode. It, it's so realistic. It makes me want to be a nurse even more. Now, interestingly, I had just earlier that day been scrolling on, I think, Twitter, and I saw some, some news about Grey's Anatomy. I saw that uh, McDreamy... Something bad had happened to McDreamy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, we're talking about Grey's Anatomy at, at dinner, and she's like, oh, it's so good. I love it. I love Grey's Anatomy. And then I interrupt. I want to include a little bit into the conversation, right? I want to add some value. So I go, Courtney, did you get to the episode where McDreamy dies? And she just like looked at me straight in the eye and just like immediately started crying. She started crying at the dinner table, and uh, I realized very quickly what I had done. I realized that she obviously had not seen that episode yet and was heartbroken that I had spoiled the news for her. She was watching them recorded on Netflix or something like that, and uh, her husband, her boyfriend at the time, now husband, so cute, uh, he was like he was like sitting next to her, and he, he just like is shaking his face. I mean, like, I can't believe what you've done. He probably knew. He probably knew that McDreamy was dead, but he just knew not to tell her. Uh, we hate spoilers, right? My goodness. I hate spoilers. I hate that I did that. Uh, should have just held my tongue, but we hate spoiling the story because we need the right context. We need the right character development. We need the right build up so that we could see the climax for what it really is, right? And this is all, I think, a part of just us as humans. We just like stories, right? You ever think about how everything in our life is all kind of like revolving around stories? We're even trying to like write our own stories for our life. When we're watching movies, we're putting ourselves in the shoes of the characters in the movie because we love stories, and so spoilers kind of suck because it ruins the flow of the story. It ruins 
that trajectory, that excitement that we get, and the buildup that makes the climax hit. Okay, well, the same thing is true with the story of Jesus, the story of the Bible. We need, like, the right flow so that we can understand what's the climax. How do characters develop, and, like, where should I put myself into this story? That's what's, like, pretty fun about reading the Bible, really fun about discovering new truths is we can actually, like, put ourselves in the story. We love it. Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about some really critical backstory, some really critical context that's actually going to help us appreciate the story of God more. And I'm pumped, seriously, really pumped, because I think that this was a message that I needed to hear and still need to hear over and over again. Like, where is the climax of the story? How does the context set us up for the real climax? And we're back in Galatians 3. You can flip to Galatians 3 if you've got your Bible here, but it's going to be on the screen as well. We're going through Galatians 3, and three characters are going to come up in Galatians tonight. And I'm very excited for you to meet them. They're, they're great people. But we're going to get right at it with character number one, okay? Character number one, Abraham. You know Abraham? Anybody know his theme song? Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Some of you know this song from elementary or uh, Sunday school or something, but he had many sons. Abraham. If you wanted to read about the life of Abraham, you could go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 12. You'd see a man, but his name is Abram. No H-A uh, or A-H. Uh, Abraham became his name when God changed it. Because Abraham means the father of many nations. Literally, that's what it means. And this is all uh, talking about the promise that God gave to Abraham, saying that he would be the father of many nations. Okay, this is, if you were to go to Genesis, you'd see this story where uh, Abraham, he's chilling in his tent. And God is like, hey, Abraham, you got to check out the night sky. Beautiful scenery. Come out of your tent. Let's check out the night sky. So God's saying to Abraham, all right, man, look at the sky. See the stars. If you can count the stars, this is what I tell you. Your children, your offspring will be like the stars. Uncountable. That's what your lineage is going to look like. God promised to Abraham that in his offspring, the whole world would be blessed. Pretty cool promise. Pretty cool promise that through Abraham's bloodline, the world would receive a divine blessing. That through his offspring, the whole world would be changed forever. Sounds like a pretty sweet promise, but in that moment, what we know about Abraham is that he was actually childless. Okay, so God's telling him that his offspring are going to be countless like the stars, that his offspring are going to impact the world like no other, but he's childless. And what we'd also know, because maybe you're like, oh, he's childless, but he's probably like 25, you know, got got good chance, uh, can meet the right woman. But actually, him and his wife, mad old, like crazy, crazy old, just no chance of having a kid. Everybody knew it. Everybody in the town knew it. They knew it. Wasn't going to happen. Okay. The odds were stacked against them because God said one thing, but their eyes were telling them something else. God had said one thing, gave a promise, but they, in that moment, 
their experience didn't quite match up with what they thought. Okay, have you ever been there? Have you been in that moment where you're reading about God's promises, you're reading about the truth of God, but your eyes are telling you a different story? Okay, this is, this is kind of an example of that in my own life. When I was growing up, here's what I was hearing. I was hearing that there's, hey, there's joy in the Christian life, right? There's peace, belonging, joy, excitement in the Christian life, comfort. But honestly, my freshman year at the U, my eyes were telling me a totally different story. My eyes were telling me that in order to belong, in order to have peace, in order to have, like, value, that I needed to chase value in myself. I needed to seek out the crowds that were finding uh, excitement in drinking. I needed to find belonging in people that were cool enough because I needed to be associated with the cool crowd. And honestly, if I was looking at my life, I would have said that there was more excitement, more fulfillment in pursuing a life for myself than there was in pursuing Jesus. God had said one thing, but my eyes were telling me a different story. And I don't think that I was alone in that. I don't think that I'm alone in that today. I think that's honestly just something that we all wrestle with. And if that's in you in the room right now, like undecided about if you want to follow Jesus in college or undecided like leaning out and saying, ah, I just, I just don't buy it, man. I just don't think... This is for me. It sounds like there's more out there that would be a better life than one following Jesus. I want to say thanks for being here. The ticket is showing up. Keep showing up. I actually think that by showing up, you're going to receive something tonight that is super value, super valuable. I think the story of Galatians chapter 3 has something fantastic to say about how God keeps his promises, how there's actually value in following Jesus. It's a message I needed to hear. I think it's a message that you need to hear tonight because sometimes our eyes tell us something in the moment that doesn't match up with what, our, what God had said. But this is where Abraham was at, right? When God showed him the stars saying, hey, your offspring are going to be countless. They're going to impact the world like no other. But how did Abraham respond? It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. That's what this whole thing is about. This whole thing is about taking God at his word. Believing God, even when it gets tough, even when what we see makes us doubt a little bit. Because it's worth it. And God doesn't lie. God keeps his promises. We're going to see a little bit later how God came through for Abraham and how he'll come through for you. Okay, but that's where Paul picks up in Galatians chapter 3. So we're going to go ahead into that text. He references this story about Abraham and goes on to chat about it, about what it means for us. Will you look at verse 6 through 9 with me? It says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. 
So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. All right. The descendants of Abraham, they are the ones who put their faith in God. The people of God belong to God, not because of something they've done or, that's, or something that's happened to them, but it's the ones that have made the decision to trust God with everything. The people of God are not the people of God because of them being born into it. But they are his people because they have chosen to trust him with everything. So that's honestly the question that's in front of us right now is, have we decided to trust God with everything? And there's a pretty critical piece that I want us to see here. Did you notice how it said it is those who are of faith that are blessed? Those who are of faith are blessed. It does not say those who have their whole life cleaned up are blessed. It does not say those who have never made a mistake, have a perfect past, and no junk are blessed. It doesn't say those who have their whole Bible memorized are blessed. Or those who always raise their hands in worship are blessed. Or those who never doubt are blessed. It says those who are of faith are blessed. So we believe. Not clean yourself up so that God is finally impressed with you, but believe. Believe, and it will be counted to you as righteousness. Okay, do you want to know the secret sauce to believing God? Special ingredient is relationship. Relationship builds trust every single time. So if you want to believe God, we should have a relationship with him. You ever heard of stranger danger? Probably. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking, it's so funny. Our church has a white van. It's great. It's a great van. We've taken many trips. Who went to the Texas trip with me last spring? Come on. That van has seen some miles. But stranger danger, right? It's like, man, don't. Don't trust anybody in a white van. I don't care who they are. Don't trust them. No. But stranger danger, right? Don't trust somebody. You can't, it's hard to trust somebody that you don't know. And I think that, honestly, one of the reasons that we struggle to believe God and take him at his word is because we just don't know him. We don't have the shared experiences with him, so we don't know his character. We don't know how he operates, how he communicates, so we... Just throw it all out, right? Stranger danger. Guys, there's good news, though. We've received the greatest gift of all time. And it really was a gift. Access to God whenever we want. He doesn't have to be a stranger anymore. He doesn't have to be a stranger anymore. Why did he give this to us? Honestly, it's because he wants relationship with you. God wants to be with you even more than you want to be with him. That blew my mind, honestly, thinking about how God intimately wants relationship with you more than you probably want it with him. Not even probably, definitely more than you want it with him. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So be an Abraham. Know God. Trust him when he says he's going to keep his promises. Let your relationship with God be the very thing that gives you life. 
the thing that shapes everything else about you. Okay, but if it's all about belief, if it's all about faith, trusting God, then what the heck is going on with all of the rules in the Bible? Right, that's the next question. It's like, Austin, what are we going to do with all of the rules in the Bible, all of the things that say do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this? If it's all about trusting God, living life with him, then what are, why did God give his people all these laws? It's a great question. That brings us to character number two. Okay, his name is Moses. Who knows Moses? Ah, we love Moses. For sure a legend when it comes to Bible stories. All sorts of cool things happened to him. When the Jews were enslaved in Egypt, Moses was the dude that God used to actually rescue them out of slavery from Egypt. Moses was the dude uh, that... God used to send on a journey to the promised land where God said they would inhabit and that they would thrive as a people. He had a front row seat. He actually like held the staff that God used to part the Red Sea. He brought water from a rock. He held up a snake on a staff that then people looked at it and they were healed from nasty snake bites. If you hadn't if you haven't read the Old Testament, you really should. It's really fantastic. Really exciting stuff goes on. But Moses, for our purpose tonight, is the man to whom the law was given. The Ten Commandments. That's our Moses. Okay? So you can find this in Exodus chapter 20 if you wish. I'm going to read through some of the, uh, I'm going to read through the Ten Commandments. But these are the things that God had, after God had rescued his people from slavery, God put these laws in place, and he gave them to his people through Moses. Okay, God's intention was that these would provide the best life possible for the people of Israel. So he instructed them with these ten things. You must not have any other gods before me. You must not make any images that you worship, like idols, You must not take God's name in vain. You must remember the Sabbath, that is rest one day of the week. You must honor your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not bear false witness. You must not covet what your neighbor has. These are the Ten Commandments which God gave to his people in Israel. And I think it's helpful to think of it this way. Jesus even said this when he was teaching that this can all be summed up in this statement, to love God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, why did God give the law? If it's all about believing, it's, if it's all about faith, why did he institute the law? Well, firstly, it's because God said that these things would be good for his people. He said that these things are actually going to help you thrive as a human. So I think it's even good for us to, like, look at these things and say, oh, these are valuable things for us to live by. I think we can scoff at that sometimes if we, if we breeze by it too fast because we don't want somebody to tell us what to do. But if we would actually look and appreciate how these laws are good, like these are instructing healthy, good living for anyone. And what we could do is we could zoom in on just one and see the value that it would have for all of us. 
So if we were to like zoom in and just take the commandment saying, do not commit adultery. We could zoom in on that and say, what would the world look like if nobody had ever committed adultery? If nobody committed adultery, no one would cheat on the husband or the wife. There'd be no lying, no deception. What would that do to the, to the homes in our world? Think about the trust in the homes that would thrive Think about the family systems that would able, be able to bring up healthy children that then would grow up and have healthy marriages with no cheating, lying, or scheming. How would your life look different if there was no hint of adultery or lust or jealousy in relationships? What an amazing change that would be, even if just one of the Ten Commandments defined the world. But I think what we would see is actually you can't have one without the other. For example, you can't say, do not commit adultery. That automatically is, that is stealing. That is stealing something that was not yours. So they all lump together. They are all different laws, but they are all one summed up in to love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. The law is a good thing. It really is a good thing given by God, but what do we all feel right now? What do we know when we read these laws and then put them up against ourselves? We know that nobody is actually clean after examining themselves through these laws. No one measures up. No one pleases God. Right, like when you look at this, when I look at this, it's, I've fallen short. I haven't hit the bullseye. I've missed the mark. Each one of these lines is like, honestly, just another punch to the gut, another blow to the head of how I don't measure up to God's standard. And this was just the Ten Commandments. In Jesus' ministry, there was a teaching called the Sermon on the Mount where actually he would take some of the Ten Commandments, and he would expand upon them further. He'd take them to the next level to express the depth of our brokenness. He says this in Matthew 5, 27, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is not only just about the outward actions that we're performing for all the public eye to see, but this is about the deep, hidden things of the heart. That's what this is really getting at. Exposing the deep, hidden things of the heart and how far we have strayed from God's good design. When you're thinking about this, like what are those deep, hidden things in your heart? Maybe nobody else sees them, but you know they're there. You know they're there. What is that telling you about your life that we've drifted far from God's good design? Ever since the fall of man, when Adam and Eve took of the tree that God said not to, we have fallen so far from his original design, each generation now being born into a shattered world 
where our default setting is selfish and destructive. So when God put the law in place, it was making all of the wrongdoing actually just a legal offense. It made all the ways that we've been betraying God so clear. When we put ourselves up against the law, we realize how insufficient our efforts have been, that we have not even come close. Guys, when I put myself up against the law, it's like I'm hopping hopping into the ring, like face to face with God's standard. And I'm trying to last. But each, each time I try to swing, I realize I can't hit it, but the law swings hard. Only so that I wind up flat on my back, gasping for breath, beaten up, and bruised by the reality that I cannot match up. I'm hopeless every time. Each law, a knockout punch that exposes my weakness. Okay, look at the way that Paul describes our situation under the law. This is verse 10 of Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We're under a curse, stuck in the ring with an unbeatable opponent. Stuck in the ring with an unbeatable opponent that's just going to keep swinging. So why would God put us in this situation, stuck in the ring against an opponent he knows we can't beat? Doesn't he know the end result? The whole point, guys, is to make it as obvious as possible that we need him. The law exposes us. It doesn't make us better. makes us worse. makes us so much worse that we would cling on to the promise of grace so hard. We would white-knuckle grip God's promise when we see the law, that we can't match up. We can't match up. God gave the law to expose our desperation. He knows that we need him, but he wants us to realize it too. It's like we've been climbing up this cliff, doing some rock climbing, and we are just dead set on the, phys- on the cliff right in front of us. And all of our tendency is to, to say, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. I don't want to see how far I've gone. But the law of God is saying, yes, you should look down. You should see how in danger you are. Look down so that you would cry for help. The good news is that God does not leave us there. When he hears our cry for help, he says, yes, I will help you. That's the whole point. He wants to save sinners. God does not leave us beaten and bruised by the law. He gives us a way out, and that's where character number three comes in. The hero, his name is Jesus. Look at verse 13 with me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For what is written, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Guys, this is the best part. This is it. This is the best part of the story, that God gave us 
a way out of the ring. He knew we couldn't save ourselves by sending himself into the ring. That's how he saved us. He came down. In the form of a man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God in flesh and bone, came into the boxing ring. He saw you, an unmatched opponent, and had compassion on you. And he comes up to you at the edge of the boxing ring and he says, he looks you in the eye. He says, come here. Gives you a big hug. And as you're in his embrace, he whispers in your ear saying, I got this. Let me take your place. I know you can't do it, but I can. Tag me in. Christ freed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He did this once and for all 2,000 years ago when he hung on a cross. The maker of the universe hung on the cross. The only one to perfectly fulfill the law hung on a cross. The only one that could look at each checkbox of the law and say, got it. He took the penalty for us. The maker of the universe hung on a tree, and it said, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. God became a curse for us. Jesus Though equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but instead he emptied himself, becoming the form of a servant, humble enough to die on the cross, to take the place of a criminal. He grabbed the mistakes, he grabbed all the wrongdoings that we had stored up through him on, through them on his back and said, I got this. Let me take the hit. He stepped into the ring and let the wrath of God kill him. Yes, kill him brutally. Why? The breaking of the law had to be dealt with. The breaking of the law had to be dealt with because God is just Perfectly just, meaning he will not let wrongdoing go unpunished. So you can either let the law keep swinging and keep swinging until eventually you will have to take upon yourself the full wrath of God. Or you can tag Jesus in and let him take the hit for you. This is the greatest trade of all time. The greatest trade of all time. Your place in the boxing ring with an unbeatable opponent for the victor's trophy of righteousness earned by Christ for you. The whole reason Jesus came was because he knew we wouldn't be able to do this by ourselves. I'm begging you to realize that life is not found in your own achievement. Life is found in Jesus and is available right now. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. The greatest trade of all time death for life. Why? So that we would be free from the ultimate condemnation of the law. So that we would be able to receive the promised spirit through faith. It says that the letter kills, the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Jesus was killed on a cross just like he said he would be. And then just like he said he would, he rose from the grave three days later. He became a curse so that we would be called sons, and he rose from the grave so that we would have life in him. 
But unless we see how badly we've messed up, we won't realize what an unbelievable act of love this was. Unless we realize how badly we needed a Savior, we won't actually realize what an amazing act of love it was. Let me read this quote to you by John Stott. He says, not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit our need of the gospel to bind our wounds. Not until the law has arrested us and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free. Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ for justification in life. Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. Don't let the gospel be spoiled. Know the weight of your sin. Know the weight of your despair, the depth of the the despair, so that you can actually fall in love with the God of grace. The rescue of God is such great news because the danger was so great. But I want you to see that the rescue was the plan the whole time. It was the plan the whole time. See the wisdom of God in this. Let's look at verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. You see, the promise was given to Abraham. It was confirmed in Moses and then fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promise was there the whole time. The promise was there the whole time. It was the same God the whole time. But he gave us the law so that we would appreciate the promise even more. Jesus came to fulfill the law and allow us to enter into the promise by faith. He needed to give us the law, though, so that we would see his character more fully and see our desperation more clearly. And now, if the promise has actually been fully fulfilled in Jesus, if we have been set free from the curse of the law, then what are we left with? The secret sauce. Relationship. Relationship with God. Freely given to us. Verse 26, right? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You know why it says we're sons of God, not necessarily sons and daughters? It's giving us a picture of the inheritance that we are going to receive. Because in that time, the sons would receive the full inheritance of the Father. This is the picture. You, in Christ, receive everything from him. Namely, you receive him. He's given you himself. He's given you relationship with the God of the universe. He's the prize. Imagine what life would him look like. Like actually, living with the God of the universe. What would change? What if you started like having side conversations with God in your car? Or during your summer job? Just talking to him. Asking him like what he thinks about certain situations. Opening up the Bible and saying, God, I don't get this. Can you help me? 
What would it be like to like let him stop you in the middle of a sentence because something you were about to say was going to dishonor somebody else? To actually let him stop you in the middle of a sentence. What would that be like? What if you woke up each morning and asked God to give you strength for the day's tasks and peace in moments of stress or anxiety? What if you came to Jesus and you just laid down all the junk going on in your life and just were honest with him about it? What if then you believed when he responded to you saying, I love you, I forgive you, I know it's hard, but it's going to be okay. I'm with you. You can trust God because God keeps his promises. All of history proves his faithfulness. The fact that he will never back down on his word. You see, he gave the promise to Abraham that in him, in his offspring, all the nations would be blessed. God's talking about the offspring of Abraham, a divine blessing through it, right? Look at verse 29. This is awesome, guys, seriously. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see it? This is the way that God came through on his promise for Abraham, that if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, a child of faith, through you, the nations will be blessed. You, the sons and daughters of faith, will be the vessel that God will use to send out blessing and hope to a world that needs it. How? By giving them Jesus. That's what this is all about. The opening of the door of faith that anyone can come and know the God of the universe. Jesus is the whole point. He's the hero. He's the king. He's the lamb that was slain to take away the sins of the world. And what we need to know about the Christian life is it's not about following rules. It's about following him, the king of the universe. He is the blessing that will go to all the nations, but the method is through ordinary people like you. The opportunity to experience the blessing of Christ is available to all nations, all people. Like, look at what he's already done. Have you ever thought about this? Like, why are you in the room right now? Why am I, why am I up here, honestly? The promise started in Israel like thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But by God's grace and by his power, we're here. We're in Minnesota hearing about this stuff. He's used common people to bring good news, blessing, hope to the nations. And the mission is not over. We're still going. We're still going to the ends of the earth. The invitation to relationship with God is going to go to the ends of the earth. Why? Because pro God said it would be. God promised it's going to go to the ends of the earth. So that's what we're up to now. Proclaiming Jesus. He's the point. He's the point. And he said something really important right after he rose from the dead. A promise in Matthew chapter 28. This is what it says. Go therefore. 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And get this promise. Don't miss this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, but if you're like me, sometimes the eyes tell us a different story, right? I've messed up too much for Jesus to be with me. I did something last night, last week, that I know I shouldn't have. Why would Jesus want to be with me? I'm not good enough for Jesus to love me. I'm not influential enough for God to use me. Why would he even bother hanging out with me? And this is the good news of the gospel, that it's not about how well you can measure up, but about how well God keeps his promises to you. And he promises to be with you always if you would just come to him. The God of the universe, relationship with him, available to anybody that wants it. Anybody. Yes, you. Available to you now. Relationship with God. Come to him. He's right here. He's right there. Lay it all before him. As we sing a couple songs later, let him give you life. I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but we're actually going to introduce a fourth character tonight. It's you. Because each one of us have this choice before us. Like, What are we going to do with the good news of Jesus? What are we going to do with him? How are we going to respond? The story is not over. The story is not over. Don't leave tonight without answering that question. What are you going to do with Jesus? He's the point of this whole thing. Would you worship him? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you so much that it's not about following rules, but it's about following you, God. I can't measure up, Lord, I can't. You know, you know more than anybody. You see my heart, you see the way that I've thought I could do it by myself, but I can't. So thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes and showing me that it's, it's about you the whole time. It was about worshiping you the whole time. It was about relationship with you the whole time. God, you never changed. That's what you wanted with Abraham. That's what you wanted with Moses. And that's what you earned for us in your son Jesus. Relationship for all of eternity. Thank you for giving us yourself, Father. I pray that your spirit would once again fill this room during worship, Lord, that we would proclaim that you are who you say you are, God. Thank you for coming for us. I pray that you yeah, would be here in this room and you would receive honor and glory for what you've done. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.